Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. We are in week six. We are in week six of our series on the I Am. You know, last week was a very powerful message. Matter of fact, this entire series has been very rich. We've been talking about the theological understanding, the depth of what I am means. We started in Exodus chapter 3, then we fast forwarded into the book of John, and we were looking at the responses or the statements of Jesus. Last week specifically, we looked at the theology behind Jesus being the Word of God. And I would like to challenge you to go back and listen to last week for sure. Uh, but the whole entire series would be great. If you can just start at the beginning, that would be most beneficial to you. Today is going to be a little bit less quote-unquote preaching and a lot more teaching and, encourage, and, and just really trying to encourage you to understand the scriptures I feel like a big problem in our culture today is people only know Jesus because of what other people have told them. They don't know Jesus themselves. They really can't defend their faith. They don't know why they believe what they believe. It was simply just taught down, passed down to them generation after generation. And last week, I really helped you to understand the deity of Christ and how he's the word of God, how he's always been, who always will be, so on and so forth. And I really encourage you to go back and start at week one because this whole series has been about knowing God deeper. And we talked about how we're friends with a lot of folks on Facebook, but even though we know of them, we don't know them. Can I get a witness? We got a lot, we got a lot of friends on Facebook, right? And, and, but, but of all those friends that we have, we're actually only in a relationship with a few of them because a lot of our relationships in our world today are surface. And unfortunately, I wish that stopped with our relationship with people, but it goes on to our relationship with God, and many of us only know Jesus on surface level. And that's what this whole series has been about. And, and I thought today that I'd be wrapping up this series. Matter of fact, that's what I said in the message that we sent out yesterday, but, but it's going to extend one more week beyond today. The reason today was going to be the last week is because I was going to combine the last two I am statements together because they are so similar. One is I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and the other is I am the gate. And they're so similar that I was having a difficult time separating them. Matter of fact, lots of times they are not separated when you hear people talking about them. But uh, through much research and prayer and looking up words and things of that nature, I really felt like the Lord said just, just slow down and focus one at a time. So after much research and preparation, I've decided to keep them separate. And in this series, we have looked at the seven most famous statements where Jesus said, I am. And, and just to recap very briefly, we discussed how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am divine. And then last week we talked about how he said, I am the light of the world. Well, today I want to look at, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And then next week we will conclude with I am the gate. If you got your Bible, like to join me, that'd be great. If not, you can see the message or the, the scripture, excuse me, here on the screen. I'm going to read out of John chapter 14. Again, John chapter 14. And just to kind of get you to understand what's happening here, John is recording the account of Jesus talking to his disciples about how he was going to prepare a place for him, for them. And how he was saying that there was mansions in heaven. And that he was going to prepare a place for them that one day that they could come and be where he is. And he says, if there were not mansions, if there was not a place, I would not have told you so. But where I'm going, one day you will go too. And then, and then he said to Thomas, he said, hey Thomas, he says, you know where I'm going to. He thought he understood that Thomas was going to heaven. And he says, and you also know the way to get there. But Thomas says, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know the way to get where you're going. And then Jesus replies to, to Thomas's statement in verse 6 and says, I am the way. He's saying, I am the way to heaven. I am the way to a good life. I am the way to the mansion. I am the way. Then he says, I am the truth. Then he says, I am the life. And then he says, no one comes to the Father but or except through, um, other versions say, by me. So we see here that Jesus is saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. I, I got to tell you, uh, on first look at this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it's kind of intimidating for a teacher or a preacher to come up with 30 minutes of content based off this very simple scripture. But through, again, studying, God has given me such a great revelation that I'd like to pass on to you. I always encourage church people to bring a notepad or at least to bring your phone. And I hope you did that today, whether it's an iPad, a phone, or a notepad, and that you're going to take notes, and then you're going to go home and study this yourselves and allow this to be something that you understand and God deposits this information in you and not something that you just got from me but you never really invest it never really becomes invested in a part of you that's the goal is that this is going to become you that God's going to deposit this information into you now this is kind of deep and and kind of confusing you may get 3 quarters of it you may get a quarter of it you may get all of it i'm not really sure but if you take these scriptures home and begin to study them yourselves and pray and continue to come to church and seek God, he will make this stuff make sense to you. Everybody say amen. Okay, so, so again, I am the way. So Jesus says, I'm three things. I'm the way. He says, I'm the truth. And then he says, and I'm the life. And then he says, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So, so what I first did was I looked up these three words that really stick out to me, and that is way, truth, and life. And I want you to see what they mean. So I looked up the word way in the Greek, and it's hadas, H-A-D, or actually it's H-O-D-O-S, hadas, but that's how it's pronounced, hadas. And, and hadas, 
for the word way means a road, a path, or a journey. So the implication that Jesus was making here is that he is the road, he is the path, or he is the route, he is the journey for us to get to heaven or for us to get to God. So what Jesus was saying is you guys have tried a whole lot of roads, but they haven't got you very far. Amen, Pastor. You've tried a whole lot of routes. You've tried a whole lot of paths to get you where you need to go. But it seems like every single road we take is good for a while, but they all have a dead end. But Jesus said, I'm the Hadas. I am the path that leads you straight to heaven. I'm the road that gets you straight to God. I'm the road that takes you to eternal life. I am the road, the process, the path, or the journey that will fulfill you and complete you. Can I tell you that a lot of us have been on a lot of roads for a lot of years and they ain't got us a whole lot of nowhere. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I am the road. Jesus says, I am the path. He says, I am the way. I am the journey. I am the road that you need to get on and start following. So I want you to remember that for a minute. When he says, I am the way, he's talking about a road. He's talking about a path. He's talking about a journey that we are taking. And how if we journey on his road, on his path, it'll take us straight to God, straight to richness, Straight to eternity. Amen. Amen. Then he says, I am the truth. I am the truth. Now I looked up this word, and it's alathia, alathia, and that's the Greek word, and, and, and I was like, what does truth mean? We all know what truth means, or, or we're at least able to use the word truth in its correct context, but, but was more trying to be said here by Jesus, and, and I looked up the word, and it says, not merely truth as spoken truth, but truth as absolute reality. The word truth here means that there is nothing outside of him and everything is because of him and that all moral truth is wrapped up in him. Our whole standard of of what's right and what's wrong and what we're to do and not do and how we interact with people is all looking at the word of God. And the word of God is Jesus, as we talked about last week. And Jesus says, I am the truth. There's no right and wrong without me. You, You won't know what to do without me. If it wasn't for me, there would not be. When you look at this word truth, it's talking about a divine truth that has been revealed to men. So the implication here in this, in this word truth is Jesus is the absolute truth and he is the standard for all things. The third one, life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The word life in, in the Hebrew, excuse me, in the Greek is zuah. Zuah or Zoah, either one. Depends if you are Hebrew or Greek or you just kind of little hood dude who just kind of got saved by grace and made it to St. Louis back in 2009. So you say it how you want to say it, but uh, it's spelled Z-O-E. And it is, by definition, the absolute fullness of life, both essential 
and ethical. The absolute fullness of life that is both physical and spiritual. When Jesus said, I am the life, what he was saying is that he is life-giving and that he is life-sustaining and there is no life outside of him, that he's the source of all life and there can be no life without him. We sing that song that says, you are the air I breathe. Well, I tell you what, Adam was singing that song, you are the air I breathe. Because if it had not been for the breath of God that Adam took, Adam would have never came alive. If it would have never been for the breath of God, the Ruach, the Holy Spirit that breathed on those bones of Ezekiel in the vision, the body would have never came to life. Can I tell you today that you may think that you're breathing on your own, but the only reason that you're sustainable and able to do what you do the way you do is because God is life and he sustains things that are dead and we are dead people only moments from death but by the grace of God he sustains us with his own very breath he is the life giver and Jesus said I am the way I'm the road there's no other road but me And then he says, I am the truth. What he was saying is, there's no other truth but me. See, this statement really doesn't go very well in our culture today because what our culture says is truth is subjective. Or we say truth is relative. We say truth is what you want your truth to be. If your worldviews are this, then that's your truth. And if your worldviews are that, then that's your truth. However you were raised is what's true and that's what you're supposed to do. But Jesus showed up on the scene and says, I don't care what you think is true. I'm telling you, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And you've been believing a lie for a very long time. And, and reality is, is we can say over and over again that it's right to do something but if God says it's wrong guess what it's wrong but somewhere along the line we have allowed culture to define right and wrong we have allowed our society to define what's right and wrong we have allowed technology we've allowed relationships we have allowed movies and music and people in leadership to determine what's right or wrong and this was happening 2,000 years ago and Jesus shows up on the scene and says oh I got something to tell you number one I am the road to God number two I am the absolute truth If you want to know what's right and wrong, get in the Bible. And if you want to ask somebody, ask me because I am the Bible. I'm the Word of God. He says, I am truth. I am absolute truth. And and then he says, and not only am I truth, I'm life. He says, I am the way to God. I am all truth. But thirdly, don't get it twisted. I gave you life and I can take your life. See, a lot of us think that Jesus was a good man who went around preaching truth. But can I tell you, not only did he preach truth, he was truth. Not only did he go around giving life, he was life. There's a difference between giving life and being life. There's a difference between raising someone from the dead and someone not being able to live without them. See, Jesus is everything and we are all utterly dependent upon him and he's dependent on no one. That's what he was trying to say. So, so really what he was saying in his simplest form is, is, is you may think that there's another way to God, but, but can I tell you there's only one way to God? He says, you may think that there's another truth, but can I tell you there's only one truth? 
He says, and you may think that there's many ways to have, source, have a source or a lifeline to life, but can I tell you that there's only one way to get life? And, and when I begin to think about this, I think about how Jesus is telling Thomas and, and speaking to, to others about him being the way, the truth, and the life. And, and really, he's coming against lots of criticism because for years, he, the people have been taught, this is what you do, this is how you do it, this is right, and this is wrong. And now he comes in, and he's not coming with some new doctrine. He's just simply reiterating and reconfirming and restating and re-saying the very things that have been said for thousands of years and trying to ruffle feathers and wake people up because they've fallen asleep. And he says, hey guys, you're missing it. He says, so I'm going to show you I'm the way. I don't know what you thought was the way, but that's not the way. I'm the way. I don't know what you thought was the truth, but I'm the truth. I don't know what you thought was the life, but I am the life. And here's the scripture that came to mind, Proverbs 14 and 12. Proverbs 14 and 12, it says, there is a way. Everybody say Way. So that word way there is hadas. So there is a road, there is a path, there is a journey, there is a process which seems right to you. There is a process, there is a road, there is a journey, there is a way that seems right to a man, that seems right to a woman. But can I tell you that the Bible says the ends are the way, the route to death. So here Jesus shows up and says, hey, if you take my road, it ends in life. But if you take the road that you think's best, it ends in death. And that's exactly what the author of Proverbs was saying. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. I want us to just take a moment and think about how many things over the years that we thought was good. We thought would end well. We thought we had good intentions. We thought it would get us where we needed to be. We thought that it was going to be most effective and beneficial. But now we look back at our lives because we're older and more mature and more versed in Scripture and more aware of our surroundings and sin and life. And there's some things that you thought were right then that ain't so right now. But why is it that they were right then, but not right now? It's because we didn't know everything that we know now. And if, if we didn't know everything then that we know now, then that got, has to mean that everything I know now, I won't know later either because I'll be revealed something different again. Because the truth is, is we are not perfect. We, we are not a, a being that knows all. We're not omnipotent, omnipresent. We don't know everything. We can't be everywhere. We can't see big picture. We are limited. We use, how much of our brain do we use? Anybody know? 10%. 10% of your brain. You wonder why you're so dumb. <laughs> Hello? I'll tell you why you're dumb. Use 10% of your brain. Now, if, now, you could use, if we use 10% of our brain and we are as smart as we are, can you imagine if we used 100% of our brain? Let, let's take this. Can you imagine how intelligent the creator of heaven and earth must be? 
See, a brain is nothing but this three-pound organ that is confined inside of our skull on top of our heads. That's it. A three-pound organ. It's, it's a physical um, uh, uh, organ that's right here in our brains. But God is a spiritual being that has all power and authority with no limits. And if we use 10% of our brains and build things like the Eiffel Tower and and Twin Towers and and cities like St. Louis and Atlanta and L.A. and New York City, oh my God, how incredibly intelligent he must be if we're using 10% of our brains. God is so smart and so brilliant. And what happens a lot of times is we are making decisions based off what path we think is right. And God is sitting back saying, I'm telling you that's not right. And we say, well, it's got to be right because this is the 21st century. The Bible wasn't written 2,000 years ago. You don't understand that this won't apply to this. And and things are different now. The Apostle Paul didn't have to deal with this. And he didn't have to deal with this. And and really, I I trust three quarters of the Bible or 98% of the Bible. But there's a few things that I got to kind of work out my own because I know that it's not completely applicable and we begin to make our own paths and then we look back and we wonder what happened I'll tell you what happened we started going our own way pastor is it possible to be in church and go your own way yes it is How? Well, let's see here. You can go to church every week. You can pray every week. You can shout every week. You can dance every week. You can tithe every week. You can volunteer every week. But then when you get home, God tells you to sit down and talk to your husband or wife about your marriage issues because that's the only way to get it fixed. And you refuse to do it because you're too stubborn and you just settle with a divorce. You know why? Because you wanted to do it your way. I could tell you about conflict resolution. The Bible says if you want conflict to be worked out, you need to go to them and address it. Go to your brother. Go to someone you have ought against and work it out. Talk to them. You and them, them to you. If it don't work, take somebody with you and you're going to get to the bottom of it. You know what we say in our world today? The best way is avoid them. And then we wonder why there's so much tension in the church. Because the way that we deal with conflict is not in the Bible. There are so many things that God has laid out. People say all the time things like, Pastor, man, it's so hard raising my kid. Or, Pastor, it's so hard having a home that's divided or having a home with two families. And, man, it's tough. And they say, you know what? Knowing what I know now, I can see why God didn't want me to have sex before I was married. But we don't think about that because here's what we're told. Here's what I was told. Don't have sex before you're married. Why not? Oh, because uh, it, it ain't no good. It, it's, it's bad. It's, it's this, this, and this. And, and they don't explain to you the consequences and, and what's going to happen. And, and they don't give you the big picture. They just tell you, you know, the scary stuff. You're going to get AIDS or you're going to do this. So, so, you know, so, so we don't really understand contextually the big picture behind abstinence. Right? So then we go out and, and, and we do what we were told not to do because we found out that it was a whole lot better than they told us it was. And, and then we fall in love with it. Next thing you know, we got a kid coming. And then we say, dang, now I can't go to school. Now, now I got to split home. Now, now I got a baby daddy. Now I got a baby mama. And it's stressful and it's overwhelming. And God's grace is awesome that he shows up, he ministers, he takes care of it, and he works it all out. Anybody glad for the grace of God? 
You know, but, but, but let, let's not get it twisted. God's grace is awesome. He can blend families that were broken. He can restore things that were jacked up. He can overlook your sin and make something out of nothing. That's what God does. But can I tell you that sometimes we welcome unneeded stress and worry and issues in our life because we think we know a way that's a better than God's way. And, and the world tells us, oh, you can't study that book because that book's outdated. Can I tell you that God is bigger than us he's been around longer than us he made us and he knows how we operate if you want to know how your car functions you take it to the dealership right because they made that bad boy if you want to know how you function you need to open up the word of God and say Lord I need you to start showing me who I am and what you want me to do because I've been trying it my way for a long time and ain't got me nowhere but kids and drama and drug addiction and alcoholism and stress and anxiety and depression and greed and a whole lot of money with a big old house but I'm still empty but when you follow the road of Jesus he unlocks life because he's the way the truth and the life when you're following the right path can I tell you that there is a great life in store for you? The Bible says in Proverbs 19 and 21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Now, now keep in mind, this is not gender specific. This is talking about God's creation. So man and woman, woman is, is both can be entered here. It, it's speaking about the human race. So it says, there are many plans in a human's heart, but it is the Lord's plan that'll stand. And look, you can make all the plans you want, but at the end, it's God's plan that's going to stand. Really what the author is saying is, is you can go down any road you want. You can carve any path you want. You can convince yourself that this is the best way all you want. But at the end, you will see every time the only path that will really get you where you need to go is Jesus. Then in Matthew chapter 7, look at this connection, verse 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate. Remember Jesus, we're going to talk about next week. He says, I am the gate. And here it's saying, enter by the narrow gate. For, the, for wide is the gate and broad is the way. Now, hold on here, way. Here's way again. Way, broad. What, what's, what, what it's saying is wide is the road. Wide is the path. Many people are on the journey that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate. And difficult is the way. Difficult is the road. Difficult is the path. Difficult is the journey which leads to life. I don't know who told you when you started serving the way, serving Jesus and walking down his road that life was going to get easy. But can I tell you that it's going to still be difficult, but just hold on because there is life at the end of your road. And there are few who find it. There's few who find it. So, so here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how the one scripture says that, that, that a man makes many plans, 
But it's only God's plan that will prevail. There's a scripture that says that, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And now in Matthew, it's saying that wide is the road that leads to destruction or death. And little, narrow is the road or the path that leads to life. And, and as I began to think about this, I, I was thinking, well, you know what? What I'm really seeing Jesus saying here is that if we want to experience life and everlasting life and have an abundant life right now, we need to be on the road of Jesus. And, and I began to think, wonder how many people really understand why we need to be on the road with Jesus. How many people really understand the theology behind Jesus giving up his life? And I thought, you know what, I need to take a couple of minutes and talk about that. And that's what I want to do. If you look in Romans chapter 6, you don't turn there please because I'll be moving kind of fast. But in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? is death, right? So the wages of sin is death. So wages, we could take that word wages out and we could put compensation in. So your compensation for your sin is death. So basically what that means is if you sin, you deserve to die, right? Are we, are we all are we good? Okay, so, so the wages of sin is death. So if I go out and I work for eight hours and they tell me they're going to pay me 10 bucks an hour, I expect to be compensated at the end of the day for 80 bucks. That's my wages, $80. Because God or the person told me that he will give me $80 for eight hours worth of work. So now he gives me my compensation. He, he gives me my wages. Well, God is saying, hey, 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 I want you to come and work for me. I, I want you to serve me. I, I want you to worship me. I want you to live in this world and have a good life. I want you to laugh. I want you to have fun. I want you to play sports. I want you to crack jokes. I want you to play dominoes, spades, hearts, whatever. You can have fun, live a good life, dance, go to the movie. You can do all that stuff. All I'm saying to you is if you sin, you will be compensated for your sin. And your compensation for sin is death. That's it. He says that, that's it. So, so, so really, here, here's the issue. When you go to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, this is the Romans road is what they call this. The Romans road, the, the, the leading you to salvation is what many would say. Then Romans 3, 23, it says for, and what's that word there? All For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, so real quick, how many people have, have sinned? Oh, okay, question. If, if you have not sinned, raise your hand. Oh, funny, there's no hands raised. Interesting. So, so we're in a church with a bunch of people that's jacked up. Is that, is that right? Only three people said yes. I'm going to ask you, y'all jacked up? Thank you, because if you wasn't, I was going to put you on blast. Oh, I was going to put you on blast. We're all jacked up. We, we all have issues. We all make mistakes. We all fall short. The Apostle Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep going. We're jacked up people. And we fall over and over and over and over again. And then we get pumped up and we're excited and we start doing good. And then guess what? We fall again. Because we're messed up. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if everyone here has admitted, I'm not perfect. Now look, you may not have kids. 
But if you have a kid or you've been around a kid, it doesn't take long to find out that even as a one-month-old, as innocent as they look, they've got some heathenistic flesh jacked up evil in them. I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I think my kids are filled with the Holy Ghost and I laid hands on them, dedicated them to the Lord, but I still believe I got to cast out demons in them. Like sometimes they push every button in me and, and they, you don't teach them to lie, they just know to lie. You don't, you don't got to teach them to cheat, they just know to cheat. You don't need to teach them to raise their voice. They just know to do it. You don't have to, they don't have to go to school and learn how to manipulate mom and dad. They just know it. It's in their nature. You know why? It's called the Adamic nature. Adam, ick, Adamic nature. Everyone that came from Adam has a sin issue. And all of us are from Adam. I know that you can't believe that you're related to someone who's white, but you are. If you are white, black, Asian, Hispanic, you came from Adam. We all got the same great, 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 great grandparents, and it's Adam and Eve. Amen. And, and I say that to you because we're all jacked up. We all make mistakes, so we all know we make mistakes. So if all of us make mistakes, guess what we all deserve? Uh-oh. We all deserved it? Only three people said it. Guess what we all deserve today? Now, why? Why is this that we would deserve to die? Well, because God is righteous. God is holy. God is perfect. He created us in his image, and he told us one thing. Live for me, and you will live. Live for you, and you will die. Anything that you do that's for you is not for God. So that means any time that we decide to do what we want and not what he wants, it makes us no longer eligible for heaven. God can't be in the presence of sin. Can you just think for a moment when Jesus was on the cross? He was on the cross and he says, Father, why have thou forsaken me? God the Father turns his head, the, 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 dark, the sky got dark. Why is that? Because God had turned away from the sin because God cannot be in the presence of sin. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's why the closer you are to God, the more anointed and more powerful you are. The further you are from God and the more sin you have in your life, the less anointed and less power you have. So, so now we see that it says all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we all deserve to die. And then it says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as the propitiation by his blood through faith. So, so here's what I want you to see for a minute. That we deserve to die, but here it says that God sent his son, Christ Jesus, to die for us that we can be redeemed and bought, brought, bought back or purchased back by the blood of Jesus through faith. So, so now we're seeing that Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary's cross has what gave you the ability to be with God. And people say, okay, cool, I understand that, but it's kind of creepy. Why blood? Is that true? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Like, like what is that? Why blood? Why Jesus? I'm trying to figure this all out, but it really doesn't make sense. So I want to take you further. In Hebrews chapter 9 and 22, look at Hebrews 9 and 22. It says, the law requires... 
that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So, so here, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying that, that the law requires nearly everything to be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The author of Hebrews is actually quoting Leviticus. In Leviticus, when the priests began to dedicate the temple and all the furnishings and all of the utensils and everything to God, they would use blood from lambs to purify the tabernacle, the temple, the furnishings, the, the utensils, and then they would anoint the priest, and they would anoint their heads with oil. They would sacrifice an animal. And here, the author is saying, without the shedding of blood, nearly anything can be cleansed. And it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The only way that we can be forgiven for sin is by blood sacrifices. Now, here's the thing that I want you to get. Have anybody heard the word apologetics? Okay, a couple of people. Apologetics is where you, it, it's the word that means to be able to defend your faith. Okay? And, and, and this right here would be good material for apologetics. Because here's what a lot of people say. They say, ah, really, I mean, Jesus died on the cross, but I mean, I mean surely I can get to heaven by just following the prophet Muhammad. I mean, surely I can get to heaven by being a, a Buddhist or just being a good person or, or donating some money to the local 501c3 or, or once in a while going downtown and working at a food pantry. I mean, surely this stuff gets me to heaven too. I mean, really, Jesus is only 2,000 years old. Now, we know that he's been around since eternity, but these people that I'm talking about will say Jesus has only been around for 2,000 years, so what about the 5,000 years before that with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and David and so on and so forth? What about them? If we need blood sacrifices now, well, what happened then? And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews was saying. The author of Hebrews was saying, this is no new thing. It's not like Jesus died and our sins are being forgiven now. He says, since the beginning of time, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He's saying, this has always been. This isn't new. This has always been. Now, I'm pointing out scriptures, but really, you can go read the whole chapter. Really, Hebrews is an amazing book for uh, this very thing about the blood of Jesus. Uh, it's very deep. But, but look at Leviticus chapter 17, 11. He, Leviticus 17, 11, it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood. Y'all see that, right? The life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So, so here, this scripture is saying that the creature's life is in the what? Blood. Right? Right? So, so, so we live because of the blood that's in us. Somebody say Amen. The lifeline of your body is your blood. Everybody with me? And, and here, what God is saying to Moses is he's saying the lifeline of every creature is in the blood. And I want you to take a creature, a lamb, and I want you to sacrifice it because it's alive. But the moment you kill it, it's now, guess, believe it or not, dead. And now that it's dead, it has no more life in it. But you deserved to die. 
But because you deserve to die, you take this creature that has life that doesn't deserve to die, and you're going to kill it in place of what you should be doing, dying. Okay, that's what they were telling Moses. That's what God told Moses. So now Moses is instructing his people and he says, God, sin, he says, guys, God talked to me when I was up on the mountain and he gave me 630 laws and one of those laws is the most important of all the laws and that is we need to sacrifice an animal for the sins of us. He says, because God showed me that sin is bad and every time we sin, we don't deserve to be around God and we deserve to die. And God told me that the lifeline of a person is in the blood and the lifeline of an animal is in the blood. And since we deserve to die, if we don't want to die, we need to sacrifice an animal in its place. The problem is, is that happened around 1400 B.C. Well, Adam was on the scene around 4000 B.C., well, yeah, four or 5,000 B.C. So, so what happened between 5,000 B.C. and 1,400 B.C.? When, when there was, uh, let's see, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and, and, and Seth, and uh, I, I don't know who, who else, but some other people there. Lamech was one of them. And what, what happened to these people in between these 4,000 years? If there was a blood sacrifice that was necessary at 1,400 B.C., what about before then? Was blood sacrifices needed then? Well, let's look. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we know that this is the story when Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to rebel against God. So they rebelled against God and immediately, now the Bible says that, look, I'll tell you what, the, 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 the earth was real cool back then because they was butt naked and unashamed. See, only three people happy about that. It's okay. I'm going to pray for your spouse. They was butt naked and unashamed. Now, what that means is, is that there was complete transparency, vulnerability. There was no sin, no heartache, no pain. They had intimacy, great intimacy. Not just sexual intimacy, but they did have that because they had hundreds of kids. But they had more than sexual intimacy. They had spiritual intimacy. They had emotional intimacy. There was complete transparency, vulnerability. They were one. They were a beautiful marriage. It was perfect. And then sin entered the world because of their stupidity. And immediately the Bible says that they realized their vulnerability and they realized their humility. And, and they said, nope, no more. And pride set in and they didn't want to be naked. They didn't want to be vulnerable. They didn't want to be transparent. And what they did was they covered themselves with tonic leaves. They took big leaves. You know, there's, what I envision is the big elephant leaves. Anybody know these elephant leaves? See, is there any country boys in here that has used them for things? <laughs> nobody? Nobody. We ain't got nobody in St. Louis in this church that ever used an elephant leaf to go to the bathroom. <laughs> One, thank you, woman of God. <laughs> Me and you. Me and you. Look, sometimes you're out in the middle of nowhere. You got to do what you do. So they took these animal leaves. Uh, they took these uh, big elephant leaves. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if that's really what it was, but that's what I'm going to say it was. And they used them to make what I want to call some undies, some Speedo. And, and then God shows up on the scene and says, who told you that you were humble? Who told you that you were vulnerable? Who told you that you were transparent? Who told you that you were naked? Yeah. 
Who told you all of this? And, and at that moment, look, it says in verse 21 of chapter 3, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. So first they took fig leaves. That's what they took, I think. They took some sort of leaves. And, and now God says, let me take that off of you and let me put animal skin on you. Y'all see that? So, so how do you get animal skin on you? By killing an animal. Can you believe in the very beginning, 4,000 years, about 3,000 years before the law ever came, 7,000 years before right now, 7,000 years ago, Adam and Eve only were forgiven because of a blood sacrifice that they didn't know how to do, so God did it for them. So the very first sacrifice that was ever made to save the human race was done by who? God. And who, who, who sent his son? God. And people say, well, it's kind of whack. Why would God send his son to forgive the sins? Why would he do the work? Well, he did it for Adam and Eve. Why wouldn't he do it again? So let's keep reading real quick. Look at Genesis chapter 4. It says in verse 4 and 5, The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Well, the Bible says that Abel's sacrifice was blood and that Cain's sacrifice was fruit. Most theologians and scholars will tell you the reason that God accepted one sacrifice and not the other is because Cain's sacrifice was one based off of works. It was, it was his fruit. It was the fruit of his labor. And a lot of us try to work our way to making God happy. But, but, but Abel simply offered a sacrifice to God and was accepted. I want you to see that the first human that we ever encountered that fell into sin had a, and needed a blood sacrifice to be forgiven. And then the next account we have is the following chapter. is Cain and Abel and he too needed a sacrifice to be blood. Now, I'm going to get you happy before we leave because I know some of y'all can't leave on a downer like this. Um, and and you got to leave up. So I'm going to leave you up. Don't, don't get too mad yet, okay? Y'all just hang in with me. Y'all good? All right, we're about to close. You say, Pastor, th th as Kevin likes to say, you, you teaching white today, Pastor. This is the white side. My black side might come back next week. I'm not sure yet. But this is what you get today. Genesis chapter 3 and 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will put division. I will put problems between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, here's what I want you to see real quick. This is the curse that came on the human race. Are you with me? So first he, cursed, first he cursed the devil, then he cursed the woman, then he cursed the man. Okay, devil, woman, man. So he cursed the devil and says, hey, I'm going to put division I'm going to put hostility between you, the devil, and between her seed. And, and look, it says her seed, and seed is uppercase. You see that? Now, that's not because I uppercased it. That's because the Bible uppercases it. The reason the Bible uppercases it, because that word seed is actually talking about Jesus, the sacrifice. And then it says, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So what, think about that, okay? So it's saying, that it's saying, well, here's what God's saying. God is saying, all right, all right. I created you, Adam and Eve, and all I want you to do is do what you do. I want you to be naked. I want you to have lots of babies. I want you to eat good food. I want you to party and live it up. You can do whatever you want. Get crunk 
All I'm saying is don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing they couldn't do. But you know the thing we can't have is the thing we want most, isn't it? So they messed up and they went and they ate from that tree and God came and he says, I'm so mad at you. You're big old dummy. Why'd you do that now? Sin's going to be in the world and we're going to have dumb people all in St. Louis at Diverse City Church because you've just messed it all up. You big idiot, but you know, and they just, and he, and he says, but he says, hey, it's all good. He says, it's all good. I got a remedy for you. He says, but before I talk to you, Eve, let me first talk to you, devil. And he says, I need to tell you something. He says, there's always going to be hostility between you and the seed of the woman. And matter of fact, I'm going to go a step further, and I want you to know, devil, that you are going to bruise his heel. Yeah, don't you get too happy, because the only reason you're bruising his heel is because he's going to crush your head. That's what he's saying. He's going to crush your head. And we see many times through scriptures about people being attacked by snakes and overcome by raising up the snake. And in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus being raised up like the snake of Moses and how it redeems the world. And, and, and now, and now, I want us to see here what's happening. Because the, the very first prophecy that we see about Jesus saying that he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Y'all with me? Y'all got the analogy? This is the analogy. Crushing the head, right? Crushing his head. You know that song? He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Satan's under my feet. Anybody know that? Yeah. Only, only, real, only real church people know that. Old school church people. You got to be church for real to know that song. Uh, I didn't know that song. I just figured it out because people were hating on me because I didn't know it and I pastored. Uh, so, um, so, so wh- where does that come from? What, what happens? Well, let's look back at Hebrew real quick. Th- this is our closing verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. Day after day, week after week, year after year, constantly, over and over. That's what I'm saying. Day after day, she nags. Day after day, they always want more. Day after day, the bills keep coming in. Day after, y'all get the point, right? Day after day. Day after day, every priest, how many priests? Every priest. Day after day, every priest, constantly, every day, over and over, had to stand and perform his religious duties. Again and again. It does it again. Again and again. Day after day. And and day after day, every priest. The the reason the author wrote it this way is because he's trying to unlock something to us. And and I'm hoping that you're going to get it right now. He says, day after day, every priest, every one of them, Aaron, Nahab, Abihu, that's his sons, um, Moses, Any other priest that came after that? All of them. Every single priest, day after day, every priest had to stand and perform his religious duties. Y'all hear me? And then it says again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. So, so what I'm trying to get you to see is this constant 
worry and, and work and struggle over and over and over again. Every priest, every day is standing up, performing the religious duties again and again, offering the same sacrifices over and over and over again. The only reason you keep doing something over and over and over again is because the job's not complete yet, right? That's the only reason you do it. And look what it says. It says every day the priest stand and perform his religious duties. He stands. He never sat down. That job was never complete. They did it day in and day out. When they came to work their eight-hour shift, they didn't have a chance to sit down because the work was never done. Day after day, week after week, year after year, again and again, every priest would continue to offer sacrifice after sacrifice. Around the clock, people would come and say, oh I need to be forgiven they'd say bring a lamb they'd get a lamb they'd cut the lamb's throat and say God I pray that you will allow this person to be forgiven because they have sinned and God they're bringing the life of a lamb it costs them $400 they've been raising it for a year they love it very much and God they need forgiven and I pray that you will forgive the sins of Mike because of this lamb God in Jesus name amen but two three four five six days later Mike would mess up again Again. Then Mike would have to come back with another lamb. And he'd say, I forget, I'm messed up again. He says, it's okay. He says, I'll sacrifice a lamb again. He'd sacrifice another lamb. And everybody would do this. For thousands of years, blood sacrifices were being done constantly, day in and day out, over and over, because the job was never done. The wages of sin is death, and they kept on sinning. So guess what? Stuff had to keep dying. The job was never done. It was never complete because we're messed up. Day after day, the priest stood. That's important. They stood. If you do research of the tabernacle, there are seven furnishings in the tabernacle. There's the altar. There's the laver or the basin. There's the, there's the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. There's the table of showbread. There's the lampstand. And last but not least, there's the altar of incense. There's seven furnishings. And this is much like a house. It's got furniture like a house. The presence of God is in the house. But the only thing that was never built in this tabernacle was a chair. They never built a chair in there. Why is it there's a table? There's a sink, there's an altar, there's a light, but there's no chair. Pretty simple. Because the work of a priest was never done. When they went on the clock, they never sat down. Because people kept coming day after day, hour after hour, just like our sin. The moment we think we got it, sin it again. The moment that we think we beat it, we're sinning again. Day after day, constantly. It's a struggle, and we're trying to beat it. We're trying to get over it, but it's not working. And then it says, but God. The next part says, but God. Everybody say, but God. See, I love it when the Bible says, but God, because it says things like, your life is a mess but God. They, there was no solution but God. They kept killing animals but God. They kept looking miserable but God. They were drunk but God. They were an alcoholic. They were a drug addict. They were greedy but God. They had no name but God. And, I, and this is good because he says, he says even though day after day, week after week, year after year, they constantly offered up sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins but God. But God offered for all time 
one sacrifice. He sat down at the right hand of God. Now, this is important because no priest ever sat down. Jesus was the first priest to sit down. The Bible says that he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Can I tell you that a priest never said it was finished? Because day after day, the work was never done. Week after week, there was always sin moving. But Jesus... Jesus, when he offered one sacrifice one time for all humanity, he said, it is finished, and he sat down at the right hand of God. I need you to know today that you don't need a lamb, you don't need a goat, you don't need a bull, you don't need Mohammed, you don't need to go out and give money to a local church, you don't need to go down the street and help serve the poor. All you need to do is say, I need something with life in it because I'm dead. And Jesus says I'm alive and well and if you give your life to me I'll give my life to you and everything you haven't been you will be because I'm the king of all kings and I'm the lord of all lords I need someone to know that Jesus is a sacrifice for us and this isn't new this isn't new age stuff this has always been around since the beginning of time Jewish people will tell you Islamic people, Muslims will tell you. Jehovah Witness will tell you. Mormons will tell you. Buddhists will tell you. There has always been blood sacrifices. And I say, well, if blood sacrifices were happening 7,000 years ago, why aren't you doing them now? Well, what has changed? If our God was the same yesterday... The same today and the same forevermore. What makes you think following a man will get you to heaven if he said it takes blood to get you to heaven? I need somebody to know that God doesn't change. The New Testament does not take away the Old Testament. The New Testament complements the Old Testament. It's one book, one standard, one God, one way to heaven, and his name's Jesus. Blood sacrifices have been happening since the beginning of time. We deserve to die, but thanks be to God, he died in our place. Now here's the awesome thing. Look what it says next. Go back to that last verse. I'm getting preaching so happy. Right there. There it goes. It says, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then look. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. This is the prophecy in Genesis. Can I tell you one day Jesus is going to sit back? And he's going to crush the devil's head. Because if you make something your footstool, that means your heels are on it. Can I tell you one day that the heels of Jesus will be on the head of the serpent. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more adversity. No more drug addiction. No more cancer. No more manipulation. No more divorce. We'll be perfect and whole. Because Jesus will put the devil under his feet and bruise his heel and cross the serpent serpent's head. Hallelujah. See, I just need us to see that the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, all of them, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Proverbs, Psalms, 
Job, Ecclesiastes, all of them, every book, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, all of them, Habakkuk, Obadiah, all of them, name of Micah, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Philippians, 2 Philippians, all of them, Colossians, all of them, Revelations, every single book says the same thing over and over and over again. We deserve to die. But by the grace of God, we can live. And we don't need to offer those sacrifices because God offered the sacrifice for us. And a lamb, a lamb, a physical lamb up by them. They can only forgive sin. But Jesus is perfect. Without spot or wrinkle, without sin, without blemish. He doesn't just take away sin. He can remove your sin. And he can fill you with the righteousness of himself. That's why the apostle Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Because your blood is no longer your blood. Your DNA's jacked up. You've been living like your daddy. You've been living like your mama. You've been living like your per- like the projects. You've been living like 21st century culture. And Jesus says, no, I died because I want to give you my blood. I want to give you my DNA. You can have my heart. You can have my righteousness. You can love like I love. You can think like I think. You can talk like I talk. See, the blood of Jesus is so greater than an animal that we are not just forgiven our sin, but he takes away our sin and then gives us the righteousness of himself that it's no longer us, but it's him working in us. See, a true believer begins to take on the mind of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the lips of Jesus, the ears of Jesus, and we become who he is. And then when people see you, they see him because he is in you. Don't believe people who tell you that Christianity is modern 2,000 old religion because it's not. Christianity has been, da- been around for 7,000 years and many religions have come along and they've kind of made their little changes and revisions to the book and made it their own and called it what they wanted to call it. But I tell you what, God made it right the first time. He didn't need someone else to come along and change it. He didn't need Joseph Smith or Charles Russell or the prophet Muhammad to change it. It was perfect the way it was the first time. God said it was perfect the way it was the first time. Now I've got lots of friends, lots of family that are Muslims, that are Mormons that are Jehovah Witness but but I tell you if you ask them a question what about the blood sacrifice they don't have a good answer and our world tells us well you just believe it no we don't just believe it we are the most incredibly intelligent beings that God has ever created we don't just need to believe it and have faith in it we can articulate it we can become educated in it we can study it and know it and defend it and talk about it But the world is full of Christians that know Jesus this much and they can't stand on anything because they're told not to question God, not to ask him any questions, just believe what you believe. And now we got a whole multitude of Christians that don't know nothing about God. They just believe what somebody else told me. And God says, I don't want you to believe what somebody else told you. I want you to study and show yourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of God. I want you to get in the Bible. You are smart. You are intelligent. You are incredibly brilliant. And and, and I want you to know me and defend me. 
Not close your blinds when the Jehovah Witness knock on the door. Not duck when you see them coming. Not run when you see them on their bikes. But to go out front and say, hello. We need Christians who can stand up and know the Bible and defend it for themselves. Not just me. We all need to know it. You know why I want to know it? Not because I want to preach a sermon on Sunday. I knew this years ago, years ago. Here's why. Because I got tired of not knowing what I knew. Anybody tired of not knowing what they know? If you just say, here's, here's what I'm going to pray. We're, we're not, no altar call up front. I just want to ask a question. If you say, God, I want to know more. I, I don't, I'm just seeking truth. That's it. I'm just seeking truth. I'm just seeking truth. I, I just want to know you. I want to know you. If that's you, I, I just want to know you. Can you just, just join me? Just stand. If you say, I just want to know you. I just want to know you. I just want to know you more. I just want more from you. We're going to sing this song together. And in closing, just, 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 just pray. Maybe you're sitting down, just reflecting, whatever. Just I want to know you, God. I, I kind of know you, but I want to really know you. I want to know you deep. I want to have such a great conviction about you and who you are. I want to know you, God. My mom knew you. Man, she was such a wonderful woman and loved you so much, God. I just wish that I had the faith and conviction that she had. My grandmother knew you. My dad knew you. Pastor knows you. God, I want to know you. If that's you, just, just cry out. Just, just tell him, however you tell him. It can be his country, hood, ghetto, trailer park. God hears all that. God hears all that. Just say, I want to know you. I want to know you deeper, Lord. I'm going to start asking you questions. I was told not to question you, but that's not biblical, Lord. You're my daddy. I can ask my dad questions. I just want to know you. I just want to know you. Father, I pray as we sing this song, and my brothers and sisters and I take a moment to reflect and have a, a moment with you, that you will just begin to deposit and minister and invest in us. God, I thank you for how wonderful you are. And I pray your blessings upon everyone here. I'm praying that they are growing and being transformed, Lord. God, we thank you. We give you all the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us and we hope this message blessed you. 